So we are in the midst of Advent, which celebrates and anticipates the coming of Jesus, our Messiah, and the hope of his second coming. That's, that's one of the reasons why we love to celebrate Advent. So we are in this second week of our Advent series uh, that we've titled Echoes of Jesus, which is seeing us look at specific accounts in the Old Testament where we hear echoes of Jesus' coming through the pages of Scripture, and we see who he is for us. And I was asking, my, I asked myself, actually I journaled this week, and I said, okay, why are we doing this series? What, what are we, why are we looking at Jesus through the pages of the Old Testament? And this is some of what I wrote down. I, I, I felt like it was, it's drawing our attention to Jesus beyond the manger. It's focusing our hearts squarely on Jesus during this season directing our eyes to see how Scripture points to Jesus, all of it, the totality of Scripture, capturing our minds with the incredible truth found in Scripture of who Jesus is for us, and hopefully and expectantly, I hope, increasing our wonder, our joy, our love, and our worship for God in the midst of this season. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to focus in on Joshua and some of what we read of him in the Old Testament, and how it foreshadows the coming of Jesus as our Savior. The name Joshua, if you don't know, it means Yahushua um, in Hebrew, or it's a derivative of Yeshua, which is Hebrew for Jesus. And so Joshua, the very name, means salvation. And in many ways, Joshua was a picture of salvation for God's people in the Old Testament. He was chosen to succeed Moses and lead the Israelites into the promised land. And from the beginning, when we meet him in scripture, we we see a man who pursued God, who trusted God, who pursued his ways, and probably seemed to have actually a lot less character flaws than Moses. Um, We we don't read of of Joshua having the character issues that Moses had, that, that kept Moses actually from entering the promised land, as we know. But in many ways, Joshua, he foreshadows the coming Messiah. When when Jesus was brought into the temple as a baby to be presented, dedicated to the Lord as as the Jewish people did, Simeon, it says, there was a man there in the temple, his name was Simeon, it says that he he was waiting for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, it says. And, And when he saw Jesus, he spoke these words. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, that's us, and for glory to your people Israel. It's an amazing prophetic word that Simeon gives that as he saw in that moment who Jesus was and what the Father was doing through Jesus. And so these connections are... um, an incredible picture for us that we see. Now, in Joshua and the entering of the promised land, we see it there in that the whole sort of story of Joshua bringing the people into the promised land, pointing to the coming of Jesus as our Savior, 
and his invitation that he's bringing us into possession of his eternal inheritance. And in a way, we see, what we see in these stories is how the natural, what God was doing in the natural with Joshua, how it points to the spiritual and how what he was going to do in Jesus and through Jesus. And these intricate plans that God has, these intricate plans and purposes that he has on this earth that point to his eternal promises of what he's doing in the midst of his people. And not, not to sort of overemphasize this, but I, I mentioned this last week. The, these connections that we see, they're meant to be seen by us and they're meant to be marveled at by us as we see these connections in scriptures. We, we see the incredible ways that God has intricately worked his plans and his purposes all along the course of history to, to recognize that these particular echoes of the Messiah, they're, they're woven into, if you will, the DNA of God's story, of how he was bringing redemption to us and calling us to see the connections all throughout his word. And so that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. We're going we're gonna to see how Joshua testifies to Jesus and want to look at three specific calls out of that for us as followers of Jesus that we see in Joshua and we see in Jesus. So, I was thinking about this, and here's, here's one way I think that we're, we're meant to see this. Joshua was called to lead God's people, clearly called, purpose to fulfill the very meaning of his name, salvation. That's how the people looked at Joshua, that he was the salvation of, of Israel. And like Joshua, Jesus is the Savior and is leading his people into possession of their internal inheritance and calling us in the midst of that as he's leading us into our eternal inheritance he's calling us to faith he's calling us to obedience and he's calling us to worship all three of those things interestingly enough that we sang about woven into this morning as we're singing about faith and obedience and, and calling us to worship so we're called to faith it's a pretty big topic faith so i'm going to I want to drill it down a little bit. I'm, I'm speaking of faith specifically in the plans of God. Trusting him, looking to him, choosing to reject fear and failure. And that's a conscious choice for us. God did not give us a spirit of fear, it says in 2 Timothy, but he gave us one of power, of love, and self-control. So we choose to reject fear. Numbers 14, we, uh, we have this account where Joshua's a young leader, he's under Moses, and he's part of a team chosen to go in and to do recon into the land of Canaan. They're called to go in and to look at what is before them as they, before they enter the land to take the land that God has promised to them. And what happens is they come back and the majority of the team that went into the land, they instill fear in the people. They, they, they said, we, we cannot overtake the people in this land. There is no way that we can overtake this. They said, there, there's giants in the land. We're, we're like, they said, we're like grasshoppers compared to these people in the land. Like, we can't, we can't do it. But Joshua and Caleb, it says, they see it differently. They see it with godly faith. 
They said, let us go up at once and occupy the land, for we are well able to overcome them. So they said, like, let's, don't, don't delay. Folks, let's go. God, he has this for us. They, they, they see it. There's this godly faith with which they see this call to go into the land that the rest of the leaders don't see. Moses sees it too. And it's interesting in Exodus 33:11, there's this whole account of the tent of meeting where Moses is out in this tent of meeting where he, he's in fellowship in the presence of God. And it says there in Exodus 33:11 that when Moses would leave the tent, Joshua would stay there. He wouldn't leave. And I, I wonder, like there was this faith that was built up in Joshua. Why? Because he spent time with God. He spent time with God and he saw, guys, Let's take the land. God has this for us. So he calls them to faith. And he says, the Lord, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land. And they, he believed that this is the case because he urged them, like, let's, let's go now. Don't, don't delay. It says there in, in Numbers, it says the people, they're, they're in the grip of fear. They, they are gripped by fear. In fact, the people, that this seems to be the, the MO of the Israelites. When they hear this, they go, you know what? Let, let's go back to Egypt. We, we need to go back to Egypt. Like, we, we can't do this. And, and Joshua, when he hears this, and Moses, they tear their robes, and they get down before the Lord, and they, he, Joshua urges them, like strongly urges them to faith. He says, do not rebel against the Lord. What he's saying is, don't go your own way. Don't look to your own strength. Don't look to your own ideas about this. Trust the Lord. Twice there he says, do not fear the people of the land. Do not fear them. And then he says to them, the Lord is with us. And the people, you know what the people's response is? They turn and they attempt to stone them to death. Yikes. I'm glad that when leaders try to lead people into the purposes of God now that the response isn't that you pick up stones and are like, that's it, we're done. Thank you. But Joshua, he's planting the seeds of faith to take the land there. He's saying, lay hold of the inheritance that God has for you. Don't delay. And the people rebel and the story is, they languish in the desert for 40 years. But the whole thing of, of laying hold of the inheritance speaks to living and moving with faith in our lives, rejecting fear. Having faith to advance the kingdom of God in our lives. Having faith to advance the kingdom of God in our communities. Having faith to advance the kingdom of God here in this church. Not giving in to fear, but saying, we are going to lay hold of what God has for us. This is about faith specifically to see the advancement of God's kingdom. It's about expansion. It's about taking hold of the promises that God has for us. And it's about not living in fear. So last week, I, uh, I went to paint the largest wall in our, our house, in the, the front entrance. It's, uh, I've never painted a wall that high before. 
Um, and I was, I was kind of looking like, how am I going to do this? And, and my ladder just went high enough for me to get up right to the top. And I, I don't cut well, so I still tape. So I'm like right up at the very top, taping the edges. And um, I don't like heights. I, uh, and I'm realizing as I get older, it's almost like I, I don't like heights. I, like, I don't like heights less and less. So I'm, I'm there. And, and like the first, going up the ladder for the first time, I, like, I, I had this really palpable sense of physical fear. Like, I don't want to do this. But the, the, in me, the motivation to get the painting done was stronger than, okay, I'm not going to let fear overtake me. I'm going to do this. And there was one section that I could not reach. I didn't think I could reach from either side. But, like, I, I had to go down on the stairs on the one side, and then the other side, I'm in the entrance. And I, there's this one little area that I'm like, how am I going to reach that? Like, I can't reach it far enough over. And uh, the physical feeling of fear was very present as I was up high. Like, I felt it in my body. And it's like, don't, you know, it's not holy, don't look down. But unrelated to that, in the last couple weeks, I, I've been working through some challenging situations. And so I, I spent some extended time one morning in silence and solitude with the Lord, just getting alone with the Lord and asking him, okay, Lord, why, why, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And, and just asking him to reveal to me what was going on inside me. And as I sat there and just meditated with the Lord, he clearly showed me physically the fear and the anxiety that I'm allowing to operate in me. And I, I didn't think those two were related. But as I, as, I, as I spent time with the Lord, I realized that the, the physical fear that I was feeling on that ladder is a picture of the spiritual fear that's been manifesting in me. Does that make sense? And he was showing me on that ladder what I was allowing to operate in myself and the stuff that I'm battling. And you might, some of you, that might be really, you might feel those same things sometimes in life where you're, you're feeling deep things going on. In Luke 12, Jesus is, he's speaking there of the temptation to find our security in the world and worrying about having what we need, like getting caught up in the worrying of what we have, what we eat, what we have to wear, and not being caught up in worldly pursuits. And instead, he says, seek God's kingdom. And then he says this, he says, fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That, that very specific reference he uses there, little flock, it's it means to feel insignificant and helpless. And what he's saying is, that doesn't disqualify you from the kingdom. That doesn't Even if you feel fear, that doesn't disqualify you from the kingdom. Don't walk in that. Walk in faith. He says, God desires, he's saying God desires to give us the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. It's a different trajectory than the pursuit of the world. That's what Jesus is getting at. It's a totally different trajectory than the world is going after. Don't seek after all the typical temporal 
pursuits. Seek the kingdom of God. And Jesus, what he's getting at there is he says it's about what thrills and captivates your heart. What thrills and really captivates you? Because he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Wherever your heart is, that's, that's your treasure. Jesus consistently came back to the same issue Joshua was focused on constantly throughout the Gospels. Jesus keeps coming back to this one issue, fear or faith. Fear or faith. What directs your life? What motivates your decisions and ability to listen to God? Is it fear or is it faith? And what, what Jesus is saying there, and what Joshua is saying to the people is, don't let fear keep you from moving into and moving forward into the purposes of God. Cultivate faith. And I think there's a gracious warning here. Fear breeds disobedience in our lives. When we choose and allow ourselves to operate in fear, we actually breed disobedience. But faith builds obedience. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Interesting use of words there by Paul. Fear breeds that spirit of slavery in us. And, and it's like Joshua is saying to the people, don't go back to Egypt. Don't, that's what the slavery is referring to. Don't go back to that. The inclination to go back to what's comfortable, knowing even if it's, you know, knowing what, what's good for us and what we feel is good for us, but it's not. To allow fear to have control. And we need to hear it again and again, and again, and again, as we contend for faith. We need to hear the Lord is with us. Romans 8, there, it's interesting, Paul says that in Romans 8, 15, because he goes on to say, I mean, this morning there's not enough time, but he goes on to say just a litany of incredible things in Romans 8 about those who have received the spirit of adoption and are sons and daughters. He says, there is a glory that will be revealed to us we are called to wait eagerly for what God is doing. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. God is working together for all for our good, for those who love him. He's for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing, nothing, nothing. There's just this, this smorgasbord, if you will, of just goodness for those who trust God. He's not saying it's going to be easy, but he's saying trust God. And all this calls us to faith, and faith builds obedience. So number two, we are called to obedience. In Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8, Moses lays out for Joshua, as Joshua is about to succeed Moses, and he lays out for him the expectations as he's about to lead God's people. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this, actually. It's on the screen behind me, but I want to I read this here, these two verses. Deuteronomy 31, verses 7 and 8. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them 
in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. There's, there's a clear call here to Joshua of obedience. And all along as we read the story of Joshua, we read that he did as the Lord commanded. There's just this, this clear line of he always was obedient to the Lord. In fact, it, I think it's Joshua 5 where the, the, angel, the, the commander of the Lord's army comes to Joshua and then he says to him, this, the, la- the, the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. Take off your shoes or take off your sandals. And it says there, there's just a simple response. Joshua did so. Like there, there was just this heart of obedience in him. And you get this, this wonderful picture of obedience with Joshua and the good that follows for the people. Joshua, he leads them into possession of the land. And, and he, he put them into possession of it. But we know that the problems of sin, the problems of brokenness, the problems of disobedience, they didn't end there. It's not like the Israelites came into the promised land and it was like, woo we're, we're home free, we're done, we're good. God's brought us here. Then there was just a bunch of stuff that happened within one generation, the very next generation. It says that they all went and served other gods. So we know that the possession of the promised land wasn't the ultimate goal. But it does have echoes of an even greater reality, and that is God's ultimate plan to invite and to his invitation to receive this eternal inheritance that he has for us. And Peter, he says that it's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you, he says, but it's also, it's, it's meant to be received now. It's, it's the now, but not yet tension of the gospel. The, the present and the future reality that calls us to live with an eternal perspective. We, we need to keep eternity before us. We need the promise of a new heavens and a new earth to be ringing in our ears. That this is what God is doing. That this is what God is going to bring. This is the culmination of where all of human history is going. And as I think about that, you know, the stuff in me that I battle with, so the fear and the anxiety that that I'm having to battle, let's say in one area of my life and other stuff, brokenness in our family that has had a lasting impact on me and, and lots of us can relate to that sort of stuff. I can't wait for the new heavens and the new earth because all that stuff is going to be healed in me. There is stuff like we will walk with limps in this world, but God is bringing about a new heavens and a new earth and we need to remind ourselves of this eternal inheritance that's there, that's coming. I want to talk about that. Because it, it, it matters for how we live in the present. It matters so much of how we look at everything in our lives and how we, how we spend our money and how we do just a litany of things. So how do we live in the now but the not yet? And in Hebrews 4, it says that Joshua leading the people into the promised land was never meant to be the end for God's people. That there is a Sabbath rest 
yet to come, it says in Hebrews 4. And the rest there that, that is spoken of is of the not yet to come. So we have this promise of an eternal inheritance, but we have not yet taken possession of it fully. Meaning, this is really what it means. Will we follow Jesus to the end? That's really what the writer of Hebrews is getting at. Will you follow Jesus right through to the end? Faith and obedience in our lives is crucial when it comes to following Jesus because the whole thing of fear keeps coming up against us as God's people. It kept coming up for Joshua and God's people all along the way. And God constantly said, do not fear. Don't fear them. We need to hear this in the presence. We need to hear this in every season that we walk through. Do not fear. Because it breeds disobedience actually in us. And that's really worrisome. Hebrews 4, 6 there, when it talks there in Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, 6 specifically refers to Numbers 14. The people allowed fear to lead them to respond in disobedience, the writer of Hebrews says. When they were being urged to trust God, to move in faith. And and the appeal in Hebrews 4 there, it holds up Numbers 14, if you will, as an example uh, when speaking of our eternal inheritance. And it says, don't fail to reach it. So don't get distracted by what the calling that God has on your life. And, and here's the question. Do we even actually look at our lives like that? That you have a calling on your life. That every single person in Christ has a calling. And God's saying, don't, don't fail to reach that calling. Don't, don't do that. Don't get distracted by this world. Now, it's interesting Uh, Jen read in her devotional this morning, I think this is important, about not having to strive. And there's an aspect to that that's true. We don't, striving in a works-based mentality. But Hebrews 4 also says, strive to enter that rest. Don't, what it's saying there is don't live in disobedience. And that word there for strive in the Greek, it really, it means intense concentration of energy necessary to reach a desired goal. Like really setting ourselves to something. So we're not striving though for a workspace salvation. So that, that's, what, that's what that devotional is getting at. I think that's really important. What we're doing is there's the striving to have a consistent focus in our lives to seek God's kingdom that we're constantly looking forward, striving because of the kingdom. And the reason that the writer of Hebrews says that is because fear is a great hindrance. Fear controls lives. It can control our lives. We can be completely immovable and we can feel completely stuck out of fear living in fear of what others will think about us, living in fear about, well, what will that person say about me? What will that person think? Oh, you know what? I can't do that because, well, what are, what are my neighbors going to think? Or, you know, 
fearful to respond to what God is calling us to because he wants us to step into the unknown. Stepping into the land of Canaan was stepping into the unknown for God's people. And God was saying, trust me. So what do, what do we need to hear in the present? I think it's the words of Deuteronomy 31 there. The Lord goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you. Do not fear. Don't be dismayed. That word there for dismayed means don't be beaten down. Don't be broken. So, what are the areas in your life that you need to hear those words? The Lord goes before you. That's an incredible, incredible truth. The Lord is going before me. Before I even know where I'm going, he's going before me. And it calls me to trust and to faith. I, I think sometimes we fail to grasp the reality of what it means that Jesus is our Savior. Like truly. That he has defeated sin and death. So the fact that he's defeated sin and death means that fear has no power over me. If fear has any power over me, it's because I'm allowing it and I'm giving it license in my life. But Jesus, as reigning king, who has defeated death, means there is nothing that I need to fear because I'm in Christ. And he invites us to be led into his plans and purposes for our lives. Jesus knows the reality of the present for us. He knows the reality of struggle. He knows that we wrestle with things. He sympathizes with our weakness, it says there in Hebrews 4. So it says, yes, we're called to seek and to enter God's kingdom. It says, do that. But then Hebrews 4, right at the end of that chapter, it invites us to come before the throne of grace. It says, draw near the throne of grace, where you will receive mercy and help in time of need. God's saying, I know, I get it. Paul, I know you struggle with things in the present, so draw near to the throne because you need mercy and you need help in time of need. A throne instinctively speaks of worship and reverence. In the, in the Netflix series, The Crown, I don't know how many of you have enjoyed that series with the queen, but there's this, um, you see in the show how people must address the queen as your majesty when they come into her presence. And there's one scene in one of the episodes where a new prime minister is elected and you hear them giving him the rundown of how he must address her when he comes into her presence. And all, there's all this protocol um, in how he must relate to the queen. And even when the prime ministers will go in and sit with her in their briefing, there's this physical distance between them and the queen. Like you can see it. It's like you, you are not, you're not sitting, um, you know, you're not sitting like this with the queen having this conversation like this. You, you are, that is not how the queen is addressed. There, there is a chair that is far off and there's this, this distance and I think sometimes that that's how we can look at our relationship with God. Because he is so holy, he's so mighty, he's so glorious. I'm not, I'm not coming and sitting and chumming with God. 
And I think we see that as our, we can see that in our relationship, distance, protocol, separation. And that's just not the case. Hebrews 4 says, draw near to the throne of grace. It is clearly this invitation to come close. We have direct access to God's throne. That's clearly seen in the New Testament. Our worship comes from intimate relationship. So this leads me to the third point, the last one I want to mention this morning, and that is that we are called to worship. Joni Erickson Tata, she uh, was recently giving an interview on the 50th anniversary of her uh, diving accident that left her a quadriplegic, and they were, they were asking her about various things, and she said in that interview, she said, my purpose in life is to make Jesus famous. I, it's, you marvel at someone like that who's lost use of everything. She kept, doesn't even have use of her hands. She has a little bit of use of her arms, and she says, the whole intent of my life is to make Jesus famous. Which I think she's done an incredible job of. After Joshua had, had led the Israelites into the promised land, after decades of being in the wilderness, can you imagine that scene when they entered the promised land? After 40 years of wandering, and he takes them in, and it's an incredible land. Joshua 4.14, it says, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. Joshua 6.27 then says this, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. So this is, this is another wonderful foreshadowing of what God would ultimately bring to fullness in Jesus. Joshua was an extraordinary leader, one of the best that Israel ever had. Faithfully led God's people, was revered by people throughout the land. But he was only a man, and his days on earth ended. Joshua came, the next generation came up, and they actually left seeking the Lord. So as faithful a leader as Joshua was, he wasn't the Messiah. He didn't bring that eternal salvation that God's people long for. Jesus is another story. Hebrews 2.9 says, We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. It says there, so that he might taste death for everyone. So he tasted death for you. Jesus went to the cross and experienced and went through that horrible death for you. Philippians 2.9. Something about chapter 2, verse 9 in the New Testament. God has highly exalted Jesus. Bestowed on him the name that is above every name, it says. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I want to bring it back to the crown for a moment. Queen Elizabeth II is crowned with glory and honor because she happened to be born into the right family the House of Windsor, 
and she happened to be born in the right birth order so that she had succession to the throne. That's what made her queen, simply because she was born here and into this family. I want to contrast that with Jesus. He is crowned with eternal glory. He's crowned with eternal honor because he suffered for us. Because he gave himself to death for our sake. That's what deemed him worthy of all majesty. Had nothing to do with birth order. Had to do with that he suffered and he willingly went to the cross. I, I referenced Isaiah 61 last week and it's that incredible prophecy where Jesus stood up and he proclaimed that he was the one to fulfill that prophecy from Isaiah. That he was bringing freedom to God's people. He says it's good news, Jesus, when he stood up in the synagogue. I bring good news. And a few verses later in Isaiah, in that same chapter, we read of the response to this promise of salvation that we see fulfilled in Jesus. This is what Isaiah says there. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt. means my soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness, it says. And Isaiah says, because of that, I will rejoice. And then it says this. And again, interesting, we, we sang about this this morning. The Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. God is so glorious. So the response to the revelation of God's salvation, when the depth of our need is really seen, when we really get it of how deeply we need God, how much we need Jesus, and we see God's mercy, it's that response. My soul shall exult. I am clothed with garments of salvation. I am covered with a robe of righteousness. We are the nations that praise has sprung up from. And we, we have the honor of releasing our praise and our joy to Jesus. That's an honor in lives that are defined by worship to him. We are called to be a people who worship. We all worship. Everyone in life worships. It's all about what do you worship. And so as we, as we journey in life, as we're journeying towards this possession of our eternal inheritance that we're, we're invited to receive, we're encouraged don't fear. Don't fail to reach it. Keep going after. Rather than fear, rather than not striving after. Walk in faith. Walk in obedience.
and walk in worship. Jen, I'll call you up. And we're going we're gonna to have the opportunity to, to respond now in worship. But perhaps you know that you need to actually respond by giving your life to follow Jesus. That there's actually a response to be made saying, yes, I need to make that choice. We, we speak here of following the way of Jesus. It's something that we... We quite often talk about because Jesus has a way. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me in my way. We surrender our lives to Jesus. We invite him to be Lord of our lives. So, I'm going to ask us all, let's, let's bow our heads. And if you want to respond with me to this invitation as I pray, then I want to, I want to just invite you to pray along with me. And if you pray this for the first time, I want to I encourage you, come and see me after because I would love to pray with you. Because I would love to encourage and just welcome the Lord to walk with you. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so in awe of what you have done and how you have given Jesus and how you have sent Jesus. And Lord, that is the most amazing thing. It's no small thing that without Jesus, we would be hopelessly lost. We would be given to fear. We would be given to all sorts of brokenness. But Jesus, you bring healing and you bring restoration and you bring us and you invite us to the Father. And so Jesus, we, we say come into our lives today. Jesus, come and make your home with us. We repent of our sin. We repent of the wrong that we do. And we ask you to forgive us. And we thank you that you promise in your word to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise of eternity. That's the, the hope that we have in you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming into our lives. We invite you to be our Savior, our Lord, and our best friend. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you move in our hearts? Would you move in our midst? Would you speak to the deepest parts of our hearts that need healing, the deepest parts of our heart that need to be changed, the parts in us where we willfully give ourselves over to sin? Jesus, save us. And we thank you for what you are doing in us and what you will do in us. Jesus, we choose faith, we choose obedience, and we choose worship. Amen.